Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat. And, uh, you know, I was thinking as we were uh, singing uh, over and over again, just that, that word holy. And, uh, you know, there's something in worship that when you consider God's holiness, it always sort of raises the temperature because for us to consider God's holiness, there's always space to kind of enter in and consider who he is. And we're just thankful for the worship team leading us. Let's thank them this morning as they clear off. Well, good morning, and uh, um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Brian Beemans. I'm the lead pastor here, and just excited to serve you this morning. Uh, we're going to be jumping into God's Word, excited about uh, the continuation of this series, uh, Parting Words, the last sermon of Jesus, and uh, just to come in under what God teaches us is so helpful. And today I'm going to be talking about um, the work of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and there's so much, isn't there, like confusion about the Holy Spirit in the church today? And there's a lot of different uh, views and perspectives on it, and oftentimes um, teaching on the Holy Spirit tends to uh, overemphasize maybe certain spiritual gifts or uh, can, can highlight or focus um, experiences that were not intended to be normative for God's people, but... Uh, Today what we're going to try to do is just kind of escape all of the sort of the craziness and simply hear from Jesus on the subject. Anybody excited for that this morning? Excited to hear from Jesus? Amen. And and so we want to hear what he has to say about the role and the work of of the Holy Spirit. And so get your Bibles open to John 14 and let me uh, just pray for us this morning before we jump in. Uh, God, your word uh, leads us, and uh, you have given it to us for a purpose, and we are thankful for it, and in whatever form your word is open in front of us, let us be reminded that, um, <clears throat> that this work of the word working on our lives and hearts is a work of the Spirit, as we're going to see today, and uh, I pray that you would give us open hearts ready to receive it, to learn from it, to apply it to our lives, and I pray, God, that it would transform us, even this morning. We thank you for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Um, anxiety is a, uh, is a major issue in our culture today. We see it everywhere uh, playing out. Um, it comes from, from many different sources. Um, there is the constant flow of information like never before in history that's bombarding us all the time. Um, or, or the pace of our sort of non-stop, always connected, never resting lives. That can be a source of anxiety. For many, a relational friction or disappointment can be a source. Uh, the last five years of anger and division on every topic possible. Like we, we, we just make up topics nowadays just to be angry about. Like I got a new one. If I post it anywhere, somebody will get angry about it. And, uh, and that has created almost an and increased anxiety in the environment for everyone. And, and social media not helping, as we've talked about many times in our church, all these sources are contributing to anxiety in our lives. It impacts us differently, right? This, the pain and struggle of this, and it can hit us in moments and then pass and then hit us again, and some find themselves constantly wrestling with this subject. Here's what I know. God wants to bring peace into your life. He he offers it supernaturally to you so that it would saturate your life and extinguish the fires of anxiety. This is one of the primary goals of the Holy Spirit as we're going to see in this passage. 
So look with me in John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. I'm going to read through verse 27. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot. Okay, can we just all agree that I feel really bad for the Judas that was remaining after all that Judas Iscariot? Like, did he for the rest of his life, it's just the weird things I think about, okay, when I'm reading the word. Like, for the rest of his life, is he like, Judas, not Iscariot? Just kind of feel some compassion for Judas right now. He said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. We're going to unpack that later. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How many times have we heard that verse about peace and and it's kind of pulled out of the context, and it's like, well, well, God's got peace to give to you, but in the context, Jesus is orienting it completely and totally around the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the big move this morning to bring that together, to understand it rightly, is this. Listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit to experience supernatural peace. In our anxious world, with with your anxious heart and my anxious heart, like we have to be very purposeful to learn to listen. It's a distinct challenge because we have to slow down long enough to be aware of the Spirit's presence, to learn to listen to His voice so that we can experience the supernatural work of the Spirit that gives peace. And in this passage, Jesus, in a variety of ways, is pointing to some things that the followers of Christ believe and think and do so that they can replace anxiety with peace. There's three marks that you see woven throughout this passage, three marks of Holy Spirit-empowered peace. The first one is this. The first mark is secured in the intimacy of the Trinity. When someone is is listening to the counsel of the Holy Spirit, when that is present in their life, there's a security that you see in their life because they're secured in the intimacy of the Trinity. Really, if you you think about this passage and how many times Jesus is like, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me and if you obey me, I'm with you and I'll manifest myself to you and and then there's a spirit that's going to come. Like, he's explaining, he's like welcoming you into like a Trinity party. 
He's like, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, like I'm inviting you into something where your life is going to be secured and surrounded by the Godhead. That is an awesome invitation. Like I'll turn down all invitations to any other parties if it does not include the Trinity party. Like in all of my relationships, in all of my ways, in all of my life, I want to be invited into that. Now remember, this message from Jesus came before he went to the cross, died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. So what he's looking to, what he's prophesying would come, listen, church, is already accessible to us. This can be the reality for the disciples of Jesus Christ right now. Like verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. No, no, no. Jesus has already asked the Father and he's already given the helper to dwell in the hearts of his followers who have committed to Jesus by faith. Verses 20 and 21 talk about in that day. No, today, if you know God, you, you can know God's love and you are loved by the Father and loved by Jesus. Today, not in the future. Verses tw- verse 23 and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. No, no, no. Now, we can know God through Jesus and they can come to make their home with you through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. It's a Trinity party. Like it's already, by faith in Jesus Christ, you are secured in the intimacy of the Trinity. And there's something profound in a picture that, that God wants to, to, to give you about what this means for your life. And he sort of slips it in right in the middle of this passage. Look in verse 18. He says there this profound encouragement. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That brought security for the disciples then and now. It brought security for the disciples then because Jesus was about to be betrayed and go and die and be in the grave. And they'd be like, what in the world just happened to what we thought was our plans? And it brings encouragement to us because no matter what the reality is of your life now in this life, no matter what the reality is of your family structure or situation or circumstance, Jesus assures you here that you will never be left as an orphan. Not with him. You will never be abandoned or forgotten or taken advantage of. He has come to adopt you and bring you into a new covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Who's, who's stirred up in their affections a bit by that this morning? Amen. See, knowing that God dwells with his people gives security. Like, I, I don't know about you, but, but there's something that's so protecting and secure, knowing that literally my life in the spiritual realm is flanked by Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is a beautiful reality, and the picture of God dwelling with his people is, is communicated throughout Scripture. In Ezekiel 37, the word of the Lord declared by the prophet was, my dwelling place shall be with them. 
In Ephesians 3, Paul prays this of the followers of Christ. He says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's what we're talking about right now. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He wants to dwell with you. Then the final fulfillment of all of God's redemptive plan. Uh, He begins to unpack it in, in Revelation. But then in Revelation 21, the new heavens and the new earth are literally coming down from heaven. And as that happens, a loud voice from the throne will declare in that moment, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Wherever you're at, with whatever sense of being alone and isolated, God would speak over your life this morning, security. God wanted to dwell with his people. He made a way through Christ to dwell with his people. He sent the spirit to dwell with his people and he's gonna return to dwell with his people. Did you you hear the message and understand how that secures your life? You have union with God in all the fullness of who he is through the work of Christ. You are secured in the intimacy of the Trinity. We, we, We talk about security all the time in our world today. I mean, right now, like, in this last generation, because all of our information is online in today's world, like, we care a lot about online security, don't we? Some of you are like, I don't really even know what's going on. I just put a password in. It's, sometimes it works. Security always seems to be increasing with these online accounts, right? Like, I mean, this week, how many of you, with a show of hands, had to walk through the long painful process of resetting an online password on a website with multiple layers of security, right? Raise your hand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, here, it's insane, the layers of security. Like, an email sent to verify your identity. You get a special code texted to you. There's three questions about your mom and your favorite sports team and your high school dating history. Like, a retinal scan is needed, a fingerprint. I swear, before long, they'd be like, could you mail in a vial of your blood so that we can confirm your DNA? <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. So much security. But I would say that after I get past all of the frustration that I feel, it gives me a little sense of peace. But in the gospel, God promises from throughout his revelation that we have, he promises and longs and desires to dwell with you. That's security. That's security to dwell in your heart, to make his home with you. That's the encouragement you need on a hard day. He is in you, he is over you, he is leading you, he is walking with you. Whatever circumstances might come to the door of your home, the way you should answer them is, hey, just before you try to enter in, I just want you to know, um, I I got like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with me, and you're gonna have to go through them to get to me. And I'm pretty sure they're going to take care of whatever comes. I'm pretty sure they know what's coming. I'm pretty sure they're going to assure me that they have it under control. Even if I'm panicking a bit. The question is, do you stop long enough in prayer to ask the Spirit to reassure your heart that God is dwelling with you?
Does your faith take hold of this truth and begin to pray for a greater awareness of the Spirit when suddenly you find yourself back feeling like you've got to be the one to answer the door of the circumstance that's knocking? Start here. In prayer, stop to listen. Let your faith take hold of the reality of the indwelling Spirit and stop to listen. First revelation that brings supernatural peace is the security that comes from knowing that I am not alone. That God is dwelling with me through the work of his spirit. Listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit to experience supernatural peace. First mark that you were listening, your life is increasingly secured in the intimacy of the Trinity. Second one is this, obedience as a response to God's love. If you're listening to, the, to, the, to the, uh, the counsel of God's Spirit, if, you're, if your mind and your heart are attuned to that, then your life is going to be marked by obedience as a response to God's love. If you're experiencing the love of God, then, then you're going to, if you're experiencing the love of God over here and, and you're, you're, you're saturated in it and you're seeing it and the revelation of it is more clear to you day by day, your obedience is going to be a response to that. How can you not, with the God who knew you before the foundation of the world and sought you out and has this extravagant, beautiful, uh, redemptive plan, and then he intersects your life, showers you with his love and grace, how can you not out of that be like, anything else you want, just please tell me. Tell me where to step, tell me what to think, tell me what to do and not to do, I'm good with it all. You have everything. That's the picture of surrender in the Bible. It's an understanding of what it means to, 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 to not withhold anything from God because of his holiness and his goodness. And this combination of love and obedience are linked together in this passage. Did you see it as we were reading? Look at the challenge of verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Is this some sort of like, like you know, threat from God? Like, like, okay, 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 prove it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. No, God doesn't operate like that. What he's communicating here is he's saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Listen, I want you to know that there will be a way of your life. There will be a direction that you go. There will be a willing a yieldedness, a willing surrender when you know my love. This is a loving encouragement. He's like, if you love me, start there. Then you will keep my commandments. And verse 21, he communicates the same thing in a different way. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He's not like, prove it. That's not what's being communicated here. That's what we do sometimes with love. Like, prove it. God's like, no, I've saturated your, your world with my love, and when that happens, you will know my commandments and keep them. Obedience is inseparable from love. Love Christ, keep his commandments. Any place where my obedience is lacking is because there's some degree of God's love that has not yet saturated my identity. If I'm not obeying rightly in my role as a father or as a pastor or a husband or any other role as a friend, it's because there's some reality of God's love that hasn't yet saturated my heart. I don't yet understand his love for me in that area of my life. It's inseparable from love. One of the preeminent or, 
or highest marks of someone who is listening to the counsel of the Holy Spirit is obedience as a response to God's love. And this is a game changer for people because it brings a peace and obedience. Like, check out this helpful summary that I read this week from Scott Kellum observing this passage. He wrote this. He said, The language of love and obey is typical of the Old Testament regarding the duties of God's people to be faithful to the covenant. So what he's saying is he's saying in the Old Testament, this idea of love and obey, sometimes we look at the Old Testament, we're like, oh, the rules. Like, God just wants them to, like, just follow all the rules. But if you've carefully read the New Te- Old Testament, you'll see that multiple times God is addressing the heartbeat of the people. Is, are you just giving sacrifices or is your heart turned towards me? And look what he says, he follows. God's people are to love the Lord. Obedience then is the preeminent expression of love. The implication is that even under the old covenant, obedience that comes from fear, duty, or guilt rather than love is not the heart of obedience. Notice those three bad motivators for obedience. Covenant faithfulness and love are inseparable. This has not changed under the new covenant. So, so for a moment, let's just, let's do something. Let's just, let's just check this in our lives. Can we do that together? Can we just kind of maybe just, uh, I'm trusting the spirit in this in your heart, like the spirit's been working this in my heart this week. Let's just, let's evaluate our hearts for a second because some of us might need to clean some things out where maybe our motivation for obedience, even today, present in our mind and our thinking could be wrong motivations for obedience. You probably caught the ones from the quote, but here it is, seven wrong motivations for obeying God. Let's do some, um, let's do some cleaning up of our hearts so that we can fill it rightly with God's love. First, fear. Fear. Now, I'm not talking about the fear of God. If you wrote this down in your notes, put in parentheses, Brian did not say the fear of God. Because a right fear of God can actually be what happens when you understand God's love. Because the fear of God can be an awe and respect. Like, I can't believe how much God loves me. And there's an aspect of that that can have this, that captures this idea of fear of God. Uh, In the Proverbs it says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So there's a good reality of the fear of God. What I'm talking about is a fear that cowers or a, a fear like, Like, oh my goodness, if I don't do what's right, God's wrath is still going to be poured out against me. If I make one misstep, like, God's wrath is going to be poured out on me. And that's completely ignorant to the realities of the gospel. That if my faith is rooted in Christ, what Christ accomplished on the cross declares over my life righteousness. There's nothing I can do to earn that righteousness. It's God's grace and mercy that covers me. And so my motivation for obedience can't be this sort of fear of God's wrath. That's a terrible motivation for obedience. Second is duty. Duty, obligation would be a synonym for this. It's doing what I do because I'm supposed to do it. Duty and obligation are some of the most cold and unaffectionate words in the English language. Duty. No one's ever been delighted by someone being like, why'd you do that nice thing for me? It's my duty. Just obligation. It's like, sweet, this relationship's going great. 
Like it's it's a it's it's a cold and unaffectionate completion of tasks. It might be doing what I do just because of tradition. This is what I've always done. I don't I don't think God's like, oh, that's what I was hoping from your response. Your heart's not engaged in duty, and it's a it's a poor motivation for obedience. Guilt is another one, number three. This is desperately trying to make up for your sin and failures. Maybe if I pursue God with enough passion, it will make up for the ways that I'm dishonoring him. Like, again, completely oblivious to the reality of God's grace and mercy. It's ignorant of it, and, and this causes an oppressive slavery in the house of God, in places where the gospel is communicated. Because after the gospel comes, if it brings this sort of oppressive slavery, it is the opposite of the way God wanted us to live in freedom. Guilt's not a good motivation for obedience. Pride, pride's not a good motivation. Pride's like, man, I'm just going to, you know, this whole like obedience thing, I'm just going to do this to kind of show off. Look how holy I am. Are you impressed? Like, like that, that's the posture of this. It's look at my zeal. It's I'm closer to God than you. It's, it's this sort of puffed up sense. Like if you, had, if you knew what I knew, if you, had, if you obeyed like I obeyed, it's a poor motivator. Very close cousin to pride is self-righteousness. This is I'm going to white knuckle my righteousness. I understand, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for me, but you know what I'm going to do? I am going to establish my righteousness before God. And God's like, one single, small, in your perspective, sin leaves you completely condemned before a holy God. How can we be self-righteous? This is not a good motivator for obedience. Number six, rewards. If I obey, now I will get a specific prayer answered. All my desires will get met if I am obedient to God. Out of this thinking is what came sort of the prosperity gospel or this focus on health and wealth. Like, man, if I follow Jesus, if I pray hard enough, like God will give those to me. And you watch when people put something up as they're like, that's really what I'm going for and I'm trying to use God to get to that thing. And here's what happens so often is you watch it. It happens again and again and again. I wish the narrative was different, but too often it's not. Is that when that crashes down or when there's disappointment in that area, suddenly the person's like, God's not real. God's not real because the God you formed to try to get that reward never existed. That's the truth. And when people can realize that, you can see them come back under the care and the wisdom of God. So it's not rewards. Relationships, it's not that. This is obedience to God because I want relationships with certain people in the context of the body of Christ. Maybe if I, maybe if I obey, like I'll find these friendships and these relationships that'll fill me. You have it out of order. This, this happens so often amongst a single people that they want a romantic relationship so bad that they're like, man, if I obey God rightly, maybe God will give me that spouse that I long for. And, and Jesus is like, I, I, I kind of wanted to be first. Maybe it's to fit in with the right people in the, in the church. It could, 
come from the church, but, and you try to, to find some sense there, uh, that's a bad motivation for obedience. Listen, please hear me on this. Those terrible motivators for obedience, they, they, they don't fill your heart. And, and so what happens then is, is you, you lose so much in that, and many of you understand that. There is tremendous freedom and joy and peace that comes from living in the fields of grace and love, being grounded in God's love. That, I, I can't even explain it to you except to say, it, and those of you who know it, know it. It feels completely different. There is a joy and an ease and a delight. I'm not saying easy in the sense of it's, there's not trials and moments of, of having to put the, the flesh to death and, and having to put down your desires and turn away from so much, but there is a peace and a joy and a freedom in that. And you can just run in the fields of grace going, God, I just wanna, I wanna follow you just because you love me. That's where I'm rooted. That's where I'm grounded. And, and listen, you won't arrive there immediately. This is a convicting but beautiful process that is part of sanctification. I, I, have, I have had all of those motiva- wrong motivations for, for obeying God have played out in my walk as a Christian. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's finding myself in those and going, why? Why does this feel wrong? Like I feel like I'm, I'm, I, the, the, everything seems to be more difficult than it should and so often God has led me to like, your motivation right now is wrong. Why you're do, the, the reason why you're doing what you're doing is flawed. And God lovingly brings me back to the gospel and back to God's love. He roots me in God's love. And suddenly, I look at the thing that he's calling me to do and I'm like, I can move towards that with, with, with empowerment from the Spirit, with peace and joy and love because I'm rooted there. When I'm motivated by God's love through the supernatural revelation of the Spirit, my obedience is filled with joy and peace. So ask the question this morning, why do I do what I do? Ask it often. Examine this carefully. Ask the Spirit of God in moments when we're confronted with obedience, when something God's calling us to, ask the Spirit of God to give you a fresh revelation of God's love. Start there. Like, why am I, why am I feeling like I have to do this? Why am I doing what I'm doing and when the truth becomes known of God's love and I meditate on God's love as, as, as the foundation out of which I obey, the Spirit begins to illuminate God's love for me and it stirs up affections. And when my affections are white hot for God, there is a sense of ease and delight. The steps may be hard and difficult. I might need to, to, to lean down upon all that God has for me in the spirit, in the power, in his word, in the community of God. But listen, I know the direction I need to go. And it's fueled by God's love. And from that place, I respond with obedience. Obedience as a response to God's love. Listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit to experience supernatural peace. Now, finally here, the third mark of someone listening to the counsel of the Holy Spirit is, number three, reminded of Christ's teaching. Look at verse 26. 
Jesus says, he's like, while I'm still with you, but when I go away, he says, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, that's the first time in John the words Holy Spirit have come together. Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, okay, two ways that this should be an encouragement to us today. First, if you understand that Jesus is saying that both to to the disciples that were in front of him and then to the church beyond and the generations to follow, you'll understand that the first encouragement is that this assures us of the trustworthiness of the scriptures. He's saying to the disciples, the, one that would, the ones that would write the Gospels and so many of the books of the Bible in the New Testament, he's showing the role of the Holy Spirit to supernaturally remind the disciples of the life, ministry, and words of Jesus. So when they pen the Gospels, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to bring those things to remembrance. And that just gives me tremendous confidence in God's word supernatural assurance that what we are reading is the word of God. It's a picture of the supernatural inerrancy of God's word. That is an encouragement. Then beyond that, it points to the current work of the Spirit to instruct you and you and you and you in Christ's teaching and remind you at times of what he has said. Like This is, this is what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your life every time you encounter God's word. Every time you encounter God's word, the spirit of God in you, if your faith is in Christ, wants to instruct or guide your life in a specific direction. The Holy Spirit wants to deposit truth in your mind and heart for later or even for right now. Or he brings his teaching to your mind, reminds you of it. That's what remembrance means. Reminds you of it, either for ministry to your own heart and life or for ministry to others. So, so let me just for a moment break this down and, and let's be really clear what is and is not happening in a scenario like right now where we're in church gathered together and I'm preaching and you're sitting there listening to me preach. Let's, just, let's clarify what's happening in the spiritual realm in this. First, all I am doing is striving to be faithful to the spiritual gift that God has given me. That's it. That's really all I'm doing. I'm just here to serve one another. This is one of my expressions of it in the midst of my week. There are many, many others. And and even my service, the Bible teaches us, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So there starts to become less and less of what I'm doing, okay? And so that's a good thing. And as I communicate the word of God, if it is profitable or beneficial to you in any way, in any degree, if the spirits remind you of God's truth later that we've talked about this morning to direct your life, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. I I think we need to start saying more often, praise the Spirit of God. Praise the Holy Spirit. You notice how even saying that, it seems kind of unfamiliar? Like, I don't say that often. I'd be like, praise God, or praise Jesus for what he did for me. How about praise the Holy Spirit? 
We need to say this more in those situations. Thank you, Spirit of God. Like, point to God as the source, and it creates greater praise for God, and this brings peace because you recognize how God's at work. It's a revelation of God at work. My, my, my call to full-time ministry, some of you have heard this story, was triggered by the work of the Holy Spirit in this way. I was a sophomore in college. I had, had read, um, honestly, to be transparent, very little of the Bible, uh, but um, I knew that I knew that I loved Jesus. I was zealous, wanted to learn, and, uh, and that uh, fall of my sophomore year, I was co-leading a community group, and uh, in that group one week, a guy uh, came to the group, and he shared a personal struggle, and he asked for prayer, and in that moment, after he shared that, little insecure sophomore college Brian was like, I just remembered something I read in God's word three days ago. And I think this is exactly what he needs given the struggle he just shared. And in that moment, I wasn't like, hey brother, the Holy Spirit is speaking right now and I have a word from the Lord for you. I did not do that. That would have creeped him out a little bit and it would have creeped me out if I would have said it at that moment in time. And, and I just went, hey, I, I read something this, this week. It might be an encouragement to you. I just felt like I was supposed to share it. And he, he left, and the next week he came back, and he said, that verse that you shared with me ministered so deeply to the struggle that I had. Thank you for sharing. And at that point, I remember thinking, that is what I want to do with the rest of my life. By the end of the semester, I changed my major, started walking towards ministry. Now hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me very, very clearly. The Spirit working to remind you of Christ's teaching is not just for preachers or pastors. It is for all God's people because every disciple should be engaged in ministry. As you live to serve others in the mission that Christ has given us, listen to the Spirit of God. The word of God is meant to infuse every one of our gifts and there's ways that we can speak it into the context and through the context of the way the Spirit has equipped us and prepared us and called us to this mission. Some of you have some words that need to be spoken to people in your life. Truths of scripture that you read and you go, this is for somebody, so first let it be for me, God, and let me just have an openness to how you might want to use that. Listen for your own growth and listen for ministry to others, to serve one another. What would our church look like if, if, if we got this and lived in this reality day by day? If the reading of scripture wasn't just for me and my own ends spiritually, but suddenly I'm reading it going, Holy Spirit, would you use this in my life now moving forward in ways I can't even comprehend right now? And would you open doors for me to minister to others with what you're teaching me? I think we'd be a little more excited about going to God's word. Because we'd see the supernatural work of it. Start to praise God and praise his spirit every time an aspect of God's truth is brought to your mind. And be more free with sharing that with people as you pray for them, as you minister to them, as you're around them. Every time you remember something about the gospel, every moment where you're reminded about God's truth, reminded of that verse, thank you, spirit of God. Thank you, spirit of God. For supernaturally working in me. Help me understand why I was reminded of that. Thank you for your love. Lead me to your obedience, for your glory. Like, so, sometimes we use weird words in the midst of the church. I know you guys know that. 
And we use this reference, which I think actually is appropriate in this context. We use this reference like, I'm praying that God would give me some divine appointments. And let me just break down what's meant by that in the context, I believe, of this passage. Divine appointments are moments when God's spirit reminds you of God's truth in a specific moment for you to minister to others. That's it. We should be asking for them. Like, if you're talking to an unbeliever and you're reminded of the power of the gospel to shape and change lives, then it might be right to respond by sharing the gospel with the unbeliever. If you encounter someone and they share with you and difficult circumstance that they're walking through, you might find that God's Spirit brings to your mind that the Word says pray for one another and you might see the situation and go, hey, can I just pray for you right now? I don't know what to say to God, but I'm just gonna ask Him to work in your life and minister to you and lead you in that. Maybe you walk past someone who you've hurt with your sin and you, you remember that God has forgiven you so much and out of that, you go, hey, I just want to ask for your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Those are divine appointments and they come in all shapes and sizes. They come out of what God's called us to in the gospel and they're sharpened even more acutely when we find ourselves operating in our spiritual gifts. But what makes them divine is the Spirit's work to teach and bring remembrance to Christ's truth. And we should declare more often, thank you, Holy Spirit. More affirmation of the Spirit's work reminds you of Christ's teaching and that will lead you to peace. Always the work of God, trusting the work of the Spirit. Three marks of a disciple who is listening to the counsel of the Holy Spirit to experience supernatural peace. One, secured in intimacy of the Trinity. Two, obedience as a response to God's love. And three, reminded of Christ's teaching. And now, as we sort of close our time together, I want to walk us towards communion. <laughs> because there's no way in, in, in sitting here hearing about the Holy Spirit uh, being the one who teaches you all things and brings to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Could I not arrive at what Christ has instituted for his church, communion. All of the work of God's, of, of God's spirit in our sinful hearts, all of the knowledge of being secured in the intimacy of the Trinity, all of obedience out of God's love, all of being reminded of Christ's teaching, that is possible in your life because Jesus died. Because he paid the ultimate sacrifice. The remembering starts with remembering that. And Jesus just knew, church, he knew that the reality of sin uh, dulls our memory. The reality of our flesh and the way we get so caught in, up, up in it just seems to just take the edge off the sharpness of the gospel at times. And Jesus wants to bring us to communion to resharpen some things about the truth of who he is and what he's accomplished. This is the first and most important reality to remember is that Jesus died for you. This is why we're called to regularly practice communion. So we want to remember together. We want to remember how his death made it possible for us to be God's people, for him to dwell with us. Possible for us to receive his Holy Spirit. Possible for us to be identified as his sons and daughters. 
So I want us to take this time in just a few moments. Take this time to confess your sin, the sin that distracts and prevents you from hearing God's Spirit. Ask God for a revival of God's Spirit in your heart. Ask God to lead you to set aside space to listen to the Spirit. Ask for a mind and heart ready to listen consistently and deeply to the Spirit's counsel. So in just a few moments when the communion trays are passed, you're going to take the two cups uh, stacked on top of one another, the bread and the juice. And if you're not a believer, let the trays pass. This is for the followers of Jesus Christ. And hold on to the elements. And we're going to take them together. And as you wait, as the band sings over us, take this time to confess the things that blind us to the work of God's Spirit and ask God to bring a revival of His Spirit into your heart and life. Let's do this now as the communion elements are passed.